beginning in verse 1. I'll just read a few of these verses, but then we'll look at most of chapter 18. Now, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Let me just say something. Her name is Prisca, but Priscilla is like, that's like a familiar way you would say her name. And Paul and, and uh, Luke is using that name Priscilla. Because Claudius, they, Aquila and Priscilla, his wife, had come from Italy, from Rome probably, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And Paul came to them. And so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Well, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when the Jews opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Remember that a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. Okay? And Paul departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul continued there in Corinth a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's just stop reading there, and we'll look at some more of the passage when we're during our message. Let's pray. Thank you, O Father, for what we have experienced today. Thank you, Lord, for the price you paid for us. Lord, we need to remember that had you not suffered and bled and died on that cross, we would carry our sins to the grave and beyond, and we would be eternally condemned if it were not for the blood that you shed. That, that's the message the world needs to hear today. There was a sacrifice made for us, just strictly out of love, just because you loved us. We don't deserve, we didn't deserve one drop of your blood shed. And yet you gave your life for ours, Lord. And for that, we're very grateful. We can one day enter the glorious kingdom of God and enjoy heaven with the angels and with the saints, those Christians we have loved that have gone on. We can enjoy worship with them because you gave your life for us. And Father, I pray the message that Paul preached that transformed lives, may we May we share that message with others. Lord, would you give us opportunities to have those, those kingdom encounters where we can encourage other believers, where we can help those who need you find you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Transforming grace, kingdom 
connections. Now, before we study this passage, we need to be open to, a, to the truth that whatever God does for us or with us is part of a bigger purpose in our lives. Whatever God does with me, with me or through me, is not just for Donnie Lovett. It is part of his bigger kingdom purpose. Now, I can look back in my own life and I can see how God has worked through people I met to bring me into a closer fellowship with him so that I could be prepared for something he was going to do in my life. You know, I I thought about this week. Before I pastored churches, before I did that, I was going to school to be a computer scientist and I, I finished almost half, I'd finished half of that degree or more than half when the Lord called me to ministry and I, and I changed, I switched majors. And I got a job, well first part of that was, uh, that switch was to, to do student teaching at a high school. And so I went and I did student teaching. So I taught school and then, and then after that I, Got a, I got engaged and I met my wife and got engaged. And then God put me in a Christian school where I taught school. I taught some in that public school as a substitute teacher, but mainly in that private school. And I was a teacher, a full-time teacher. And those years of experience there, how that happened, how I met people, uh, played a big part in what I'm doing right now. Because now, guess what? After Nearly 18 years of being with you, God has put me in the position to lead a school, your school, you see. And I know that I look back a long time ago, and I would not have been able to do that had God not put people in my path to point me in that direction so that I would have that that job of teaching. And I wouldn't have gotten that job had I not been doing evangelism and I was preaching in crusades and revivals and things like that all around and on the radio and such as that and meeting with the school board of this Christian school. That school board, these older, wise gentlemen said to me because they looked at my, my degrees and you know, such as that and they said, let's get right to the point, Mr. Lovett. <laughs> we have lost boys and girls in this school and we just want to know if you can lead them to Jesus. And I said, yes. <laughs> and that's how my teaching career began. And, that, and now just think all those years, God knew exactly what he was going to do right now with me in 2022 as, as the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. He was going to load me up with two jobs and say, Donnie, I want you to leave this school. And God did that. And folks, that's my little story. But you've got one, don't you? You have a story of how God brought someone into your life that made a difference. And you may, listen, you may not yet know what that will mean. Someone you, that you've met in your past, you still may not know what, that, what, what God is going to do with that encounter. But I call that a kingdom encounter. I remember years ago, I was interviewing with a church. It was so amazing because I was in the pulpit one day at, at a church I was at at First Baptist Oakborough. And um, 
I was in that pulpit preaching, and the Lord spoke to me, and, and he said to me, he said, I'm moving you. And I heard it so clearly in my mind that day. And do uh, you know the next Sunday, the first, the first of about 14 pastor search committees came? It was, it was unreal. And every time they came, I would talk to them, and I would pray for them. And I began to pray for people. I began to see God do something through prayer in those different churches. And I was getting ready to go to another church down near Charlotte, the Indian Trail area. And a church down in Fayetteville, near the Fayetteville area, called me and wanted to come and hear me. They came to hear me. They came to hear me, and then they called me and wanted to talk with me. And I said, well, you know, look, I'm, I'm already interviewing with another church, but... I'm just praying the Lord said, you go talk to them in my spirit. You go talk to them. And I came down here to this church, and I remember this little church. Uh, it wasn't a very big church, but I'm telling you, those people put on a spread for me. They had a feast like nothing I'd ever seen in my life. It was food, and I love to eat. I mean, I do. And I'm telling you, they poured it on. And I thought, if it, listen, if... If, you know, if the deciding factor is the meal, this is it. That's what I thought. But when I was praying, but I prayed with them. And, um, and they, at the end of that prayer, they had been through some problems. And, and I was, you know, I was going to, I was praying for them. And at the end of, the, at the end of that prayer time, uh, they said, won't you please be our pastor? And I said, the Lord sent me here to pray for you, but I have to see what God's going to do with this other church, and he knows what he's going to do. But if the Lord doesn't send me here, I want to tell you about someone, and the Lord just impressed on my mind a young man who had been my, an, an associate pastor for me at a church, another church, and he impressed that young man on my heart, and I said, Talk to this guy. And uh, I told them about him. And I said, and they said, well, okay, okay, pastor. And uh, well, we hope it'll be you. And I said, well, you know, God knows what he's doing. And I went back. And I remember going up there at the road. And I remember driving. I felt so proud of myself. Because, I mean, a lot of, I mean, it was rare that, I mean, it's rare that uh, somebody will just beg you to be their pastor, you know. And that's what was happening. And I just, I was going up the road and I was just saying, you know, Lord, I could come here. I mean, they sure do have good food. <laughs> you know, and I was talking to the Lord. And the Lord seemed to say to me, pull the car over. And I pulled it over. And he said, write this down. And I just was listening to the Lord and I began to write. And the Lord said, I didn't send you here. Or he said, I, you're not coming here. I sent you here to tell them about the young man I, I told them. And, you know, uh, he became their pastor. Yeah. And he did a real good work there and, and reached a lot of people. And the Lord blessed and saved people and made a difference for eternity because I had that encounter with someone. Now, remember this. I want you to remember this statement. In fact, I want you to say it with me about God. Let's pull it up. You ready? God always knows what he is doing, and his timing is everything. Say it again. God always knows what he is doing, and his timing 
is everything. That's a principle for us to always remember. And we see that in the story of Paul here. Let me quickly move through this. Verses, beginning in verse 1. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Now, after these things that happened in Athens, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because the emperor Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. Paul came to, to them at Corinth, and so because he, and to Aquila and Priscilla, and because Paul was of the same trade as Aquila and Priscilla, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers, and by the way, along with that, he reasoned in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So after leaving Athens, Paul traveled 53 miles to the beautiful city of Corinth. Corinth was... Uh, an incredible city, the capital city of the city-state of Corinth. It, unlike Athens, which had once been a great city with a huge population, but then had lost its people in glory, Corinth was, a, was still a huge city, a commercial center of Greece. In 400 BC, the population of Corinth was estimated at 200,000 people. Well, in Paul's day, it was probably about 90,000 people. So it was a big city. Corinth was important for a number of reasons, but mainly for the way it linked the southern part of Greece, the island-like area of the Peloponnesus with the Greek mainland. I've got a map here so you can kind of see. You see up there as we, as we look, I've got my little pointer here, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So there's Athens. He came from Athens. He headed, and now he's, this right here is the Isthmus of Corinth. You see here, right in here, there's a little narrow passageway right there. And that was a very important little landmass because it linked the Peloponnesus with all of the mainland of Greece and the rest of Asia Minor there. So that little strip of land, this little peninsula, was so important to, to the world of that day. In Paul's day, there were two ports. There was... Lycaeum on the west, which gave access to the Adriatic Sea, and the Sincre on the east, which opened to the Aegean Sea. Because sailing around the Peloponnesus was very treacherous, what happened? They devised a way to go across that little island, that, or that little landmass, the Isthmus of, of Corinth. What they would do... Sometimes they would unload a ship. They would pull up to one side, they would unload it on carts, they would travel the three and a half miles and unload it on another ship. And, and then also they built like a ship railway across that little piece of land. And so smaller ships, they could actually load them on like wheels <laughs> that were riding in grooves on the ground and they would cross and pull the little ship, the little ship all the way across. And so that's why Corinth became the center for east-west trade with people from all over the world traveling through the city of Corinth. And because of this diversity, Corinth became a place of culture and art. In fact, we can still see the Corinthian influence in architecture uh, on buildings of our day. The Romans conquered, destroyed, and rebuilt Corinth. In 44 BC, Julius Caesar gave Corinth the status of a Roman colony, and he turned it into the political and economical center of Achaia. It was called Wealthy Corinth 
Corinth was wealthy. It was populated by local Greeks, freedmen from Italy, Roman army veterans, businessmen, government officials, and a large number of Jews. In Paul's day, when he arrived, he saw a city that was new. In other words, the buildings had been destroyed by the Romans and had been rebuilt, so no building was more than 100 years old. Arriving alone, Paul found all of this beautiful city, beautiful architecture, but he found ugliness there. He found evil there because the city, as wealthy as it was, was in moral and spiritual poverty. The phrase, to live like a Corinthian, meant to live wickedly. The predominant religion was centered on the worship of those traditional Greek gods. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, stood on the Acrocorinth, the 1900-foot tall hill that looked down upon the city. Inside the city walls of Corinth, near the Agora or marketplace, stood the temple of Apollo, the sun god. Modern excavations have unearthed the temple to Asclepius, the Greek god of healing, and a number of clay body parts had been uncovered, and they were, have been uncovered, and they were evidently part of, their, of the ritual offerings to Asclepius, the god of healing, uh, if, uh, representing the body part that needed to be healed. So they made a clay figure of a hand and offered it, or a clay figure of a leg and offered it. Now, idolatry breeds immorality. And it was within this center of immorality that Paul found a Jewish synagogue. And also upon arrival, Paul met these two people named Aquila and his wife Priscilla, who had come from Rome. And Luke added that Aquila and his wife left Rome when the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. According to the Roman historian Suetonius, Claudius expelled all the Jews because of a riot instigated by Crestus. Now what Suetonius was telling us, it's not that the Christians started riots. It is that the Jews in Rome kept assaulting Christians and accusing the followers of Christ and bringing them up before the Roman authorities to such an extent that Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. So we don't know if Aquila and Priscilla were leaders of the Christian movement in Rome, but it's very possible. In any event, Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, and he stayed with them. So what he did in Corinth was he lived with these people. God gave him a kingdom encounter with this man and his wife. He worked with them in the trade of tent making. And by the way, that, the words used in tent making here refer to leather work. Probably the tents, of course, were made of leather, of hides. And so Paul was, Paul was good at leather work. And by the way, this is the only reference in the New Testament to what Paul did for a living to support himself outside the, 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 the gospel ministry. He was a tent maker. Now, also while there, Paul began to attend the local Jewish, Jewish synagogue and teach as a visiting rabbi. Now, let's not forget that Paul's a Jew, and as a Jew, he attended the synagogue with the Jews each and every Sabbath. And what day is the Sabbath? Help me. What day? Saturday. Right. The Jews met on Saturday and worshiped. From what his, and by the way, why do we worship on Sunday? Because it is the what day? The resurrection day of our Savior, right? So Paul attended synagogue on Saturday on the Sabbath with the Jews. And from what history tells us 
of the timing of Claudius decree, we know when Paul was there. Paul must have arrived in Corinth somewhere around 49 AD. And, and the Jewish synagogue would have been in Corinth at least eight years at that time. So Paul did not bring Christianity to Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla were already there. After teaching in the synagogue for some time, Paul's friends Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth, and Paul intensified his message, the gospel message. In verse 5, we read, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. That word Christ, Christus, is Messiah, Messiah. In Hebrew, Messiah. So Paul intensified his message to teach the Jews that all the things that pertain to the Messiah in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What changed with Paul? Why the added zeal here? Well, in his second letter to the Corinthian believers, Paul told them how he had worked among them with his own hands to avoid taking money from them. And this is what happened. Listen, 2 Corinthians eleven nine. Paul said, said to the Corinthian believers, when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. In other words, I, you know, I don't know why Paul was concerned about being supported by the Corinthians, especially since they were a very wealthy city. But perhaps he didn't want to be indebted to anyone in that immoral, wicked place. But once the money came, and he said it came from those in Macedonia, who came? Silas and Timothy. They brought him an offering, a mission offering from churches all over. Once that money came, Paul could stop the tent making and focus on sharing the gospel. And when Paul shared the gospel that Jesus is the Messiah, it infuriated the Jews. Verse 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Don't you know Paul was frustrated by these Jews? In fact, he shook his clothing as if to say, I, I'm done with you. Now, Paul would never forget his Jewish brothers. And Paul left the synagogue here, but he went to synagogues again. But before leaving Corinth, God would use his connections to build his kingdom. Paul turned his attention to reaching the huge mass of unbelieving Gentiles in Corinth. And with great success, we read, look at verse 7. And Paul departed from there, a synagogue, and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. You with me? Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, the one in charge of the synagogue, of, of uh, the scrolls and, and the synagogue. Then Crispus believed on the Lord Jesus with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Paul, don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of, God, word of God 
among them. In the work of the kingdom, folks, sometimes, listen, sometimes we just have to move on. We do. Sometimes we can spend so much time trying to convince one person to believe that we miss a great opportunity for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul experienced. Paul loved his fellow countrymen. Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Just think about our own study of Paul's ministry, of how many times he taught in the Jewish synagogues and how each time he was rejected and persecuted. Does this sound a little familiar? What did the religious elite in Jerusalem do to Jesus? They opposed him, rejected him, and persuaded the Romans to crucify him. Yet Jesus loved them, and he would never give up on the Jews. And folks, we don't need to give up on the Jews either. Today, Israel is a little nation hated by so many nations, but one day, the little nation of Israel will be restored to a glory greater than she ever had before. King Jesus will one day come again and sit on a throne in Jerusalem and rule over the entire earth. Look what Jeremiah said. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their own evil hearts. This time, in Corinth, this time, Paul, rejected by the Jews in the synagogue, Paul, opposed by them, They would even take him before the Roman governor, the Roman proconsul, the, the, the authorities, like they did Jesus. But this time, things would be a little different. Paul left the synagogue, preached the gospel that Jesus, God in the flesh, offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins. That Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he lives to offer forgiveness, grace, and eternal life to all who would believe in him and receive him as as Savior and Lord. Paul said, Romans 10, but what does the scripture say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. It is the word of of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul left that synagogue and those opposers. He preached the gospel. And the first person who was saved was Crispus, the synagogue ruler. He and all his house believed, put their faith in Jesus, and were baptized as a sign of their grace transformation. But it didn't stop with Crispus. For Luke said that many of the Corinthians heard the gospel, believed, and were baptized. Now this may not have happened if Paul had continued to argue in the synagogue with those hard-hearted people. Friends, I don't understand why some people will not believe. I don't. The gospel is the greatest news anyone could ever hear. It's worth hearing. It's worth sharing. It's worth believing. It doesn't make sense that someone would reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would someone turn down God's offer of eternal life? Why would anyone in their right mind refuse to follow Jesus? Following Jesus is the greatest life of all. What could be better than having God's own presence with you to help you through the trials and troubles we face? What could be greater than the promise that he made that when this life is over, there's a glorious kingdom to inherit for eternity in the presence of God and his angels? Even if a person was skeptical, as many are, If there was a chance in a billion that any of this might be true, 
Why would anybody not try it? Why not believe in Jesus and follow him? Yet the Jews in Paul's day refused, as do many today. In fact, the majority of people in the world will not accept the truth of Jesus Christ. One day they will. Five seconds after death, they will know it's true. It's all true. Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, Even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glorious glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same Satan who blinded the minds of the Corinthian Jews is still blinding minds today. And the only thing we can do is keep shining the light of Jesus into this dark world in hopes that someone will receive it. And someone will receive it. For just as Paul kept telling the good news of Jesus and people believed, so will some believe our witness to the gospel. Some will not believe. Many will not believe. But some will hear what we say and will be gloriously saved and transformed by the grace of God. That's what happened in Corinth. But that was not all that happened in Corinth because... See, Paul made a connection with two people who would be used by God for a greater kingdom purpose. Remember Aquila and his wife Priscilla? Look what God did with them after they met Paul. First, they had to finish up in Corinth. Look with me at verse 12. When Gallio was, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose from the synagogue rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, you know, in that court, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, old Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you and hear this case. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, you know, like the scriptures and the name of Jesus and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove those Jews from the judgment seat. And then all the Greeks, they took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of any of these things. It's about time, you know, folks, it's about time that a government leader realized that his job is to protect religious liberty, to protect those who are doing good and advocating good. That's what God said in his word. He said in Romans 3, 3, notice this. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. That doesn't mean all rulers are good. None of us today believe all rulers are good, do we? (laughs) Because we've seen some of the most corrupt that we've ever had before. But God intends for government leaders to protect those who are doing good especially those who are doing good for God. And the Roman proconsul Gallio did just that. When the unbelieving Jews opposed Paul and his gospel message, Gallio did not do as Pilate and so many other leaders had done he, and uh, persecuted him. He protected Paul's right to speak. He told the Jews, I will not stop Paul's words even if you don't like what he's saying. In America, we have an, an import, a very important way of protecting our right to speak our faith. It's called the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. And this is what it reads. Read it with me. 
Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's right. Uh, That's our right defined and protected by our Constitution. And that's the reason we can meet here today. The reason we can have a live stream service that goes out on the internet. The reason we can teach our school students in Calvary Christian School about Jesus. And the reason we can tell anyone about a savior we know. Paul didn't have the first amendment to protect him, but the Lord appeared to him and he gave him assurance. He said, Paul, that's okay, you've got me. And friends, if you've got Jesus, you have everything, amen, amen. And the great commission, Jesus promised his disciples that as they took his message to their world, he would be with them even to the end of the age. And friends, Jesus will never be more near you than when you're sharing his good news that he wants to save, that he wants to transform lives. So after Paul's connection with Gallio, and we read in verses 18 through 23, so Paul still remained a good while, and then he took leave of his brethren, and he sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Sincre, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and he left him there, but, you know, Aquila and Priscilla. But he himself, but, but uh, he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews again there. And when they asked him to stay longer time with them, he did not consent, but he took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem. But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. And who did he leave behind? Aquila and Priscilla. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. Now, Paul's connection in Corinth. Crispus, the synagogue leader, he was transformed by God's grace along with all his family. The many Corinthians Transformed by the gospel. Gallio, a Roman official who may not have been saved, but who did the right thing by Paul. These were important connections, but none was more important than his connection with Aquila and Priscilla. Strong believers in the faith. And this is why. Look at verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, Apollos arrived there. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Apollo, short for Apollonius, was a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt. He was very, a very intelligent man, a man who had studied the scriptures. According to Luke, Apollos had somehow been baptized by John the Baptist. But he, or at least one of his followers. But he had not received the whole truth of salvation 
through faith in Jesus Christ. You know something? Sometimes a person may repent of some wrongdoing, but not, ref- but not you know, get rid of the sin, but not refill with, with the gospel of Jesus. I've known a number of people who gave up drinking through a program of several steps, but they couldn't stay away from it because there was still an emptiness there. Friends, John's baptism was water baptism, the baptism of repentance of sin. That's important. But to bring the transformation that comes with faith, we need the baptism of regeneration. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to immerse us, you know, baptize us, immerse us in His love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, His humility. When we receive Jesus into our hearts and He lives and the Holy Spirit lives within us and the Holy Spirit takes over, that's when Jesus and His eternal life become real to us. And when the Holy Spirit immerses us in His love, joy, and peace, He turns the light on so we can hear God, know God, follow God. Remember Paul said, if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it's veiled by the God of this world, Satan, who blinds people from the inside. Satan indwells people just as God's Spirit indwells people. What we must be certain of is that the Holy Spirit indwells us that He lives within us. And the greatest evidence is that our desire to please God becomes real and a driving force in our life. That's what happened when Apollos received the Holy Spirit of Jesus. The scriptures he had been teaching became real to him. And he went back to Corinth and into the synagogue where Paul had been opposed and Apollos vigorously, in that Corinthian synagogue, vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Who did God use to reach those difficult Jews in Corinth? It was Apollos. And how did Apollos become an instrument of the gospel? Who helped him? Aquila and Priscilla. And who encouraged and strengthened Aquila and Priscilla? Paul. These were not chance encounters. These were not fate, not accidents. These were God-designed kingdom connections. The Lord put these people together because he had a purpose for each of them, just as he does for us. Friends, the grace of God not only transforms our relationships, it transforms our connections. God is a perfect path for us, and if we stay close to him, he will define that path for us. He will reveal that path to us. As we go through life, there's many paths we could follow, wrong paths. God allows us to take some detours and make our own choices, even even when those choices are going to lead to trouble and disaster, even when people are going to get hurt and we're going to get hurt. But God continually calls us back to the path He set for us because He knows that His path is the best path for us to follow. So along the way, on His path, we encounter a lot of different people. These people, divine appointments, are actually kingdom connections, relationships that lead us to something bigger than ourselves something God has designed. Through His grace, God brings us together with other people that they might help us or that we may, might help them be used for God's purposes. Think for a moment about experiences in your own life where someone you encountered actually pointed you in a different direction, the right direction, God's direction. This encounter may have been a connection that led to a new job or a connection that led to your marriage to someone or to a new school, or to a new place to live. Looking back at those experiences, we realize that they did not happen by chance. But an unseen hand was guiding people into our lives and toward God's kingdom purpose. That purpose was for our good, yes. But God's purpose always leads to what's best for the kingdom. 
When God makes those kingdom connections in our lives, it's not just for our good today. It's so that he might use us to encourage someone in their spiritual walk to help them find life in the kingdom. That's why God brings us together. That's why he guides us and continually draws us back to his perfect plan, his eternal path for us. Because ultimately, friends, all the paths God has for every believer in the world converge in Jesus Christ and ultimately lead to his kingdom and his throne. And that's why Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, and that's why you have met some of the people in your life that have been a positive influence on you. That's what grace does. And I'll end with my, our grace principle today. This is, let's remember this. Ready, go, let's read it. God's grace transforms our random encounters into kingdom connections. Would you bow with me? I want you to think for just a moment. Think about how God has brought people into your life. He might be trying to say something to you now. You may have heard something today that gave you an answer you needed. It's not because I said it. It's because God, through His Holy Spirit, spoke to your heart. He put you before me today to hear what I had to say because that was the kingdom connection you needed. Or it may be someone this week or in the week to come. You're going to, you're going to encounter somebody. We need to pay attention to the people God puts in our lives. Sometimes the devil will put somebody in your life and they'll lead you astray. If someone's leading you away from God, that's not of God. But when God brings someone and the Holy Spirit within us bears witness and helps us see that person is one of these kingdom connections, we need to pay very close attention to what God is saying to us. Now you might be here today and you say, Pastor, I've heard your message I've heard about Jesus, and you're right. If there's, I've been skeptical, but if there's anything to it at all, it just doesn't make sense to dismiss this. I want to believe. I want to follow Jesus. Well, let me help you. You need to pray. You need to talk to God. I can't save you. Jesus is the only one who can save you. You need to talk to him right now. And with all your heart, with everything within you, you need to talk to him and be sincere about it. And you need to say, dear Jesus, I'm sorry that I've left you out of my life, that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. Forgive me for every evil thing that I've ever said or done. I believe you died on the cross for me. You shed your blood so that I could be forgiven. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Take away my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the love, the joy, the peace that I have been missing. And today, Jesus, I make a commitment. I will follow you the rest of my life. And all the way, 
into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest prayer you could pray. If it was real, then your life will be transformed and you'll start doing the right thing. You'll have a desire to do the right thing. I want to encourage you, maybe while we're singing this last song, the cameras will be turned off. You'd like to walk down and say, Pastor, I prayed with you. Just pray for me. I will do that. I won't embarrass you. I'll just pray for you. And I'll encourage you. Or you can tell me going out the door today. But say something to someone. Let somebody know that you ask Jesus to be your Savior. That'll be a real important step. Lord, today you have spoken to our hearts. God, I pray help us pay attention to what you're trying to tell us, even through those, those kingdom connections with other people. And Father, I pray that we'll pay attention and, Lord, that we'll really try hard to follow you in the path that you've set for us because that's the best way that we could go in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing together, I Surrender All. Oh, mm-hmm. 